0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the 8th edition of Cinema Effect. This was actually easy to remember this week because uh, the film's title is quite appropriate for that. Um, I'm Zach, and I'm joined by my fellow hans Zimmer appreciated Jaden. Hello. That was, that, was, that was a nice little soft hello. Was
1: it? Yeah, no. Nah, like, I saw, I, saw, I saw it. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I should have said it louder.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. And I'm also joined by J.C. John Cena... Jesus Christ, whatever JC Liam, I'm trying it out. Hello, excellent. Yeah, um, I mean, who, who suggested that? Was that you that suggested that one, Fitzie? Was that you or? Oh no, Jaden suggested. I think.
2: Oh, mm, JC suggested the uh, JC.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I just referred to you as Jesus, so I, we can't really top that, <laughs> to be honest. Hmm. Anyway, this is Cinema Effect, the podcast where we review and talk about a different movie every single week. The show posts every Monday. You can find us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know the drill. Please subscribe if you enjoy the show, rate it, that'd be awesome and you can submit your questions, thoughts, reviews for next week's film to us in the YouTube comments section and of course we have our, uh, uh, our what do you call it, our signature question of the week, I guess for you to write in about, we'll read them at the end of the show as always and this week we're doing, we're asking you what your favourite superhero movie is. So, um, I mean everyone's got a favourite superhero movie, you know. There's there's too many of them these days, that's for sure. So, you got no excuse. Please write in about your favourite superhero movie. We're desperate for your answers. Mm-hmm. Thank you in advance. This week's movie, I'm super interested in, in talking about. I'm actually, this might be one of my most anticipated uh, conversations on, on the show, honestly, and that's because we're doing. The film Eight and a Half, and I had never heard of this movie at all. But both of you guys, um, when we were talking about what we're going to do, suggested this. So this was both on your radars, obviously. Was is this like a well-regarded movie that you just kind of had always heard about or something? Um, yeah, basically. Yeah,
1: I first heard about it in um, you know uh, Mandel and the Dying Girl. Um, you know how yes. the the main character Spruce Film, he, he created he created one of the one of the parodies he he made was Ate Half My Lunch. So like that's when it first came onto oh. my radar. Um oh. but since then like, you know, becoming more involved like, not involved, because 'cause I'm still not involved. Um becoming more interested in like films and stuff, <laughs> like, you know, I have heard it mentioned around and stuff.
2: Have you guys, um have you guys heard of the they make movies, don't they uh list?
0: No. What's this?
2: It's this like List of the thousand greatest films of all time decided by like tens of like thousands of uh, critic polls and critic answers and stuff like that. Oh, right. And it's like I think first there is like Vertigo or Susan Kane, and Eight and a Half came in like sixth this year in the last couple of years. So
0: do they? Do they? What is this list updated regularly?
2: I think yearly. I think yeah. Oh, Not sure. Yeah, though. Interesting.
0: God, that's pretty high. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, no, like I said, I'd never heard of it at all. Um, So, yeah, I was kind of, I was taken aback by doing this one. But, hey, we're doing a, we're going all in. We're doing a black and white film. We're doing a foreign film.
2: It's old. It's old as well.
0: Uh, Yeah, I just hated it by default. (laughs) Um, Okay, let's get into the data dump and we'll highlight just how old it is because the film opened in Italy um, on the 16th of February, two. Oh my god! I actually said two thousand out of habit. Then nineteen sixty-three. You're nowhere near two thousand. The film was directed by Federico Fellini. It was also written by him. And oh my god, here we go. This is Neo Flayia. I don't Nailed it. Anyway, got no. Yeah, it is what it is. Oh Lord. Okay. Now I've. Oh, now I've got to do the actors, dude. This is a disaster. Okay. The film stars, Marcelo Mastroianni, Mastroianni, this bit, be- sorry guys, bear with me here, Claudia Cardinale, Cardinale,
2: and Nurt, cool Amy.
0: It? Holy shit, you're right. That, that was actually a situation where, like, my brain thought it had to be more complicated than it was, you know? So, so there you go. Yeah, Anyway. And what's the last one? Sandra Milo, Milo. I'm just gonna say Milo. Great, great. I'm sorry I put you guys through this every week. I'm really, I really, I'm really, really sorry. The film won best foreign film at the 1964 Academy Awards. There is zero information that I was able to find to indicate what its budget was. So that's fun. It has a worldwide box office of $133,000. Although I assume that doesn't, you know, uh, take into account. Um, like rentals and all that shit. Like how you know, vast majority of people these days would have watched it, or probably of all time, ever watched it. The film has a runtime of two hours and eighteen minutes. And I don't know if you noticed this, Fitty, but our our version that we—I assume you watched it on Stan.
2: Um. Yeah. Well, I watched a bit of it on Stan and a bit on something else, but yeah.
0: Oh, did you? Okay. Uh. Well, our Stan version was not two hours and eight, eighteen minutes anyway. I I watched it was two hours and ten minutes. So I don't know if I watch some kind of reduced version or something, but there you go anyway. Synopsis. A harried movie director retreats into his memories and fantasies. That was That's that's a nice little synopsis there. I like it. It's actually... That's one of the most effective synopsis I think I've ever read. So there you go. Good for them. Fitzie, kick us off. What are your general thoughts on eight and a half?
2: I thought it was okay. Um, I was like... I don't know. I was bored by some parts interested by interested by others and i don't. I think i was mainly bored by the more filmmaking parts and interested in is the more biographical or the parts of his life that involved his relationships and women and stuff but mm-hmm. yeah i don't know there's a i don't completely know like what to think about it yet i don't think but there's a lot to talk about i guess
1: I'm kind of a fissy in that I don't know how to feel about it, but I, I'm, I'm much more on, like, the, the, the higher end of the spectrum of not knowing how to feel. it Because, like, I do like it. I really, really like it. But then, like, I'm not sure how much I do like it at the same time because there are some things that take me back, but there's also some things that just propel it to another level. So, I don't know. I'm still I, mm. um I do really like the film, though. I can I can
0: definitely say that. Okay, okay. Um, I thought this movie sucked, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I just, I didn't enjoy anything about it, yeah. and I thought, I just, I just don't get it at all. To be perfectly honest, like I, I'm not even talking about like the narrative and what's actually occurring in the movie. I, I think unless, um, we delve into the levels, I was never aware of. I think I get that fine. I just don't understand, um, how it is well regarded in any way. Um, I think it's it's a boring movie for starters. Like naturally, like like you mentioned, Fitzy, I think the story is just uninteresting. The the story doesn't really evolve in an interesting way at all, perhaps until maybe the last, Mm like, I don't know, few minutes, maybe potentially. Um, And even that's kind of questionable, I guess. I kind of, I, I, there are little things I appreciate, um, but I think where the first 10 minutes of the movie did a really good job, I think, of getting me interested. I was like, okay, the, the, real, the cool uh, dream dream sequence at the start was kind of bizarre and out there, and I really liked that. And then, you know, we get introduced to kind of what's happening. Um, you know, this guy is making this film, and, you know, that's cool. And we kind of, you know, he, he becomes more and more stressed out, and um, as everything, all this shit, crazy shit's kind of going on around him, he's getting bombarded by everyone. And I thought as that was kind of getting introduced, that was cool. But then it just kind of never went anywhere. It was just like, it was just that the whole time. I I feel like I got every bit of information that I needed as the audience member in the first ten minutes of the movie and then the rest didn't really add anything, to be honest. But anyway, yeah, that's how I felt. I'm this is cool though. I'm actually surprised we're kind of all in this seem to be sort of like in a tiered um sort of structure on our opinion here. Like Jane's on the higher end, Pitsy doesn't know, and I'm kind of on the lower.
2: Yeah, well so that's, um that's cool. I did absolutely hate the first half. Like I thought it was complete shit in the first half, but then, I don't know, there were kind of elements where, there were meta elements where they kind of, they almost addressed the aimlessness of the movie, so I kind of felt more engaged when that started to happen in the second half, and started to think, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe it's some of the things I'm not enjoying a part of the point, maybe, but I'm still, like, not sure.
0: Mm-hmm. What what when you say that are the, are those particular scenes, particular dream sequences, or or elements that um make you say that? Like, what do you think kind of shows that in the movie?
2: No, not the not the dream sequences really, but like the um there are different conversations he has with people talking about like the movie he's making itself and how it kind of references this movie, like. How it's like vague and you know you can't just assume people know what you're talking about and has to have a central conflict or something. So yeah.
0: Oh, okay. No, no, no. I get that. I get that. That's a good point. Yeah. But,
2: but I did just like on a on a like base level just enjoy some of the the dream sequences and the fantasies in there in the second half as well and some in the first half. But yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I do think, yeah, I think the dream sequences are easily like the, the the parts of the film that stand out the most because, um, the actual production process that um, is kind of happening in real life in real time, like I mentioned, it doesn't nothing really happens. It's kind of like oh, they, there's the screen, there's the bit where they go and do the screen tests and they look at that, and that's kind of that's kind of something different, I guess. But for the most part, I feel like they're just kind of wandering around the hotel, um, or whatever it is, the spa or whatever, um. And just kind of having these same conversations. They go to the launch pad set, which is cool. But yeah, no, I I think the Dream Seasons is kind of where the film stands out the most. Um do you Do you guys have a favourite one or one that's kind of stands out um to make the most sense or that works the best for the story for you guys at all? Well kind of a weird question, but. I don't really have
1: a stand because I because you know, like I, I did really like the film, so like I think most of them were I think I think most of them, like sequences whether you know dreams memories or you know real time i thought they were all really great um i did think in the in the first half i think it certainly um there were at times when i thought it was boring um but i think it all comes around in the end and it kind of all just works as as, because it it kind of just builds upon itself and i don't know so like um in terms of having like a favorite sequence um not really like i think they're all really cool
0: did you did you really like the the the, the first one, Jane, like when he's stuck in the car in traffic? Because I, I thought that was a really cool way to open the movie.
1: Yeah. I was, I mean, like, you know, I was confused immediately, like off the bat. I was, but, you know, that was the intent at yeah. first. Um, but, yeah, no, it is really, I, I, th- it, 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 I think it sets, the, it sets the movie up well for, like, what's going to ensue and, like, you know, kind of like the idea that it's going to come across, especially with the whole thing about here, yeah, how he's floating over the ocean and he gets yanked down by, like, his producers or whoever they are, you know, and it's kind of, you know, how it's those people dragging back down to the reality that he doesn't want to, that he wants to, you know, ignore and leave behind and stuff. So I think that first dream sequence works really well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree The and, and actually, on the topic of that sequence, I was like, I didn't know what I was looking at when they had they the shot of, like, the bus and the people in it. What, I, what was I looking at? Were the people upside down or something?
1: Um, yeah, I do know the shot you're talking about. I'm, I'm not really sure if there was any intent behind that other than just to you know yeah and part of the um i don't know the surrealism of it
0: i guess yeah well i mean it kind of creeped me out so i guess it worked yeah i do do like the first 10 minutes of the movie i really like that 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 scene like i just said does creep me out it was kind of disturbing and weird um in a good way and then he kind of wakes up in his room and i like the use of the what is it flight of the valkyries it's just kind of you know as everything's going to chaos around him and everyone constantly trying to get attention and you you do it does do a good job of making you really feel um kind of like you're in your shoes in some way like you're just being bombarded by all this bullshit around you that you just want to friggin' ignore and just get the hell out of here you know i think actually honestly one of the most peculiar things about the film especially you know to anyone who hasn't seen it like i hadn't or like none of us had but is the title of the movie and i kind of just want to i'll just chuck in some trivia to explain it um the title refers to the number of movies Federico Fellini has directed up until that point. He directed six features, two shorts, and co-directed a film um, for a total of eight and a half films. So the title, therefore, is kind of super meta, I guess. Just basically just, um, obviously, you know, just with the amount of movies he's made. So, but then I've kind of seen also in the trivia section that the film's kind of in some way quite autobiographical of the director's own life and I kind of that was kind of a weird part of it where I feel like I'm just kind of watching this this filmmaker he made this film and this story just kind of about his own weird crisis you know, is that is that, I guess that's the point?
1: I think if we were familiar with like his other films prior to watching this it probably would have made more sense and probably would have been more appropriate to you know um you know we would have been able to apply you know the, the filmmaker's story and the you know, we have been able to compare the filmmaker and, and and the main character together. You know, and we would been able to see more clearly. But I still think, um, you know, um, you can go into it without really knowing too much. And I think it, you know, I think it still works all fine.
0: Do Do you guys, when I say that, I don't really feel feel uh, that the story evolves or the characters really evolve. Um, mainly the main character kind of in the movie. Do you guys disagree with that?
2: No, not really. I don't know. I think the the film is, you know. It's about the making of the film that's happening. So it's just kind of, yeah, I don't know. It's just like kind of about him and not really some kind of story. But yeah, I don't
1: know. You definitely see an involvement and evolvement. Is that a word? I don't know. You definitely see his character evolve because Mm. like while his personality and, you know, his demeanor may not change much, it's the way, you know, the way of his thinking, um that you know that's what changes so like although his personality says the same and he's still this you know eccentric and rather you know um self centered and um he's not a great guy but and he's still not the best guy at the end of the film, but he understands that and he's and he's he's letting that you know um you know his understanding of that kind of lets him you know um it frees him
2: I, I saw at the end that he kind of had that some kind of realization but like what is it that he realises, do you think?
1: Well, he says it. it, it, it doesn't he say, like, you know, um, true happiness is, being, is, is, is um, being able to not lie? Wait, what is it, Finny? I've, I've, I've forgotten already. Because he, he, he says, you
0: know, yeah, it's something about telling the don't truth. Don't lie, but it's something like that.
2: Right. And then him making this movie is kind of about the truth of his process in his life. That kind of makes sense. Like, he's pu- putting himself out there in terms of how... Like the process for this film and his bio, his like stuff that happened in his life. I guess
1: I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was really hoping that you, you two, enjoyed this film because I wasn't looking because uh, I was like relying on like jumping off your ideas that you guys said, and I was like, it's like you know, <laughs> what <now> <laughs> what's it all mean?
0: Well, hey, I mean, I'm I'm interested in kind of trying to figure out those answers too because, well, I guess you jumped into the end for you Let's do it. So at the end, basically. Um, he kind of has another dream sequence and he kind of shoots himself in the head. He kind of shoots himself in the head. He straight up shoots himself in the head. Um, And that in some way, I guess symbolizes, you know, him waking up the realization that you're talking about. And then he kind of goes on to direct the movie, I guess, because we have the kind of interesting circus bit at the end and he's shouting instructions and he has, you know, a few more dialogue bits and pieces, like you mentioned. Um, But like, he does go to... He makes the movie, right? Is that... Am I wrong about that, that you know?
2: Ooh, I don't know, yeah.
0: Oh, really? Okay, okay. Right. I, I was kind of convinced that he di- that he does. That's kind of... That's kind of the the ending. I don't
2: know. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's just symbolic or what, but I guess if he does make the movie at the end, you can kind of see, like, actually eight and a half as a movie that he makes, you know, because it's, like, about him.
0: So, But with that in mind, though, like, I just... I, did, I feel like the movie's only, what I said, my version was only 2 hours and 10 minutes. And, you know, that's obviously not very long, um, not overly long. And I was just, this movie felt like it would not end for me. I was just like, Jesus Christ. I feel like, it, it kind of felt like I was sitting there for four hours, to be honest. But anyway. Um, so And then with that in mind, I guess all I'm saying is that I feel like there's a good hour of the movie, probably more, that just... I didn't get anything out of. I I think the first, like I've mentioned, you know, the introduction's cool, um, the way, you know, all the pieces are kind of put on the table about his situation, you feel that pressure. And then I feel like you can kind of just cut straight to the ending. Like, I don't really know how much those, a lot of the scenes just throughout really add to it. Um, Especially when I feel like there are some dream sequences that are kind of redundant. Like, there's the interesting one where uh, he basically starts... I I don't know, he's at some kind of get-together or something. He kind of walks in in the snow, which is weird. But then he starts, you know, whipping everyone around him. I kind of obviously took that as taking out his frustration on everything and how over it he is, and that's cool, I guess. But I feel like the rest of the movie had already up to that point an hour and a half beforehand communicated that perfectly. Like, I didn't really need that. So I guess what I'm saying is I feel like this could have been a cool short film.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um. I don't think, like, I think you're right, you know, in taking out frustration in that film, but, I mean, in that sequence. But I saw it more as just him, you know, it's, it's just an example of his controlling nature and how he wants, you know, this harem of women and they all, for them to all adore him. And I think it's just more of an, a, 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 I think it's just a better insight into his mind. And, you know, he he's, he's, he talks about how he latches onto everyone and he wants to love everyone because he's scared that he might on the wrong path. So I kind of see that, you know, in that scene, you know, of him just, collecting everything hoping that something comes about of it and you know when it when it does start to go you know a bit awry he does you know you see this really controlling and dominant dominating and you know this you know bad bad shit word um you see this really you know dark side of him you know come out when he when he's when you know when he is whipping and trying to order everything although it's played lightheartedly you know it's not you know this great characteristic to have but I think I think that's a really cool sequence and you know I think it shows more than just his frustration but it shows you know his the way he attaches himself to everything you know
2: personally I think the whole movie's kind of like a dive into his mind the like the actual director's mind and the character's mm. mind but um yeah that was definitely my favorite fantasy sequence as well with all the uh the women and when they get older you go upstairs or whatever and you get the the Bumble flight flight of the uh, Valkyries, but but yeah, yeah.
1: So you guys keep on saying yeah, that like, uh... you like the dream sequences, like so. Like, did none did none of the real world stuff really interest you at all? Or because like, cause like I like some of my favorite parts were the real world.
2: Yeah, I was definitely interested by like the re- relationships and stuff in the real world, but like the director stuff kind of annoyed me.
0: Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with Fifty. I mean yeah the real world stuff didn't overly interest me what well, what was some of your favorite parts of that
1: i'm not really sure what to call it like that 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 night in the garden where you know all the actresses like you know they're asking him what's my role and the press are there asking how he feels about the film and you know like um you know it's kind of like that you know just garden event whatever you want to call it like it's such a uh, i don't know i think like that's one of my like um my favorite like things because it show i think that's like where it, one of the best parts where it shows like you know how maddening it is because like it, it is just this endless bombardment and um i think that's i think that that scene depicts it like you know in one of the best ways not to mention that it's really gorgeously shot i mean i think the entire film is really really you know visually like beautiful and stunning but i think in that scene as well like um especially just with like the dancing sequence as well where they're doing the twist you know like there's there's that there, that moment as well as at the table, and then when the magician comes, like everything in that scene just gels so well. I, I
0: feel. I think I think I do agree that the movie's well shot generally. Um, but well, a question I I don't know if you know the answer to this, Jane, but because colored cameras, God, I sound like such a <laughs> such a dumbass. <laughs> but like colored cameras exist at this time, right? So what's up with the the black and white? Um, is it a choice? Is it a stylistic? Yeah, choice?
1: I'd, like, I'm not sure if, it, if it's budgetary or stylistic, but if it is stylistic, I think it's definitely benefited the film because I don't think you'd get the same. It definitely wouldn't feel the same had it been colored because I mean, um, at this point, colored cameras had been around for quite a while. You know, that's why the Oscars had had two categories for colored films and black and white films. So I'm um, I'm not sure why there was a choice, but I think it. I think the film definitely benefited from being in black and white, just personally, because like. I, I know you know with you know obviously those colors you you'd be able to tell like a lot of things more like clearly and shit, but I love the harshness of the whites and the the you know the darkness of the blacks and how contrasting and stark it is. I think it really just works so well.
0: Yeah, I, I don't I don't dislike that the film's in black and white or anything. Um, but I, I do I do find it difficult to appreciate the visual elements. Um that you're talking about just because of it. You know, like I'm so used to just watching everything in colour that I feel like, you know, frames don't, images don't really pop as much. And I just kind of, I find it difficult to know impressive kind of shots and, and cool looking shit when I see it in black and white, you know. My brain doesn't really register it as, as obviously, I guess.
1: Yeah. No, but like, yeah, I, I guess that's just personal choice, like, you know, just personal taste or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, in, in my opinion, I think it just amplifies. Everything, especially in real world, because I think like the real world, like it's it because it, of how like it has this sense of like grittiness almost. You know, it 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 detracts from this. Like, um, I think if you inject color in it, depending on how on, on how you style it, it can give the entire thing the streamline feel. So I feel like having the real world in black and white was important. So like had had the entire film being colored, I think it would have been poor. But you know, I think black and white is definitely the way to
2: go. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like. The real world was more black, and then so that, and the fantasies were more white. They kind of made that contrast, but. Oh, really? Did you find that?
0: I didn't notice it particularly. Did you, Jane? No, I didn't pay particular attention
1: to that. Just going on, like, the real world sequences that I love. I love uh, towards the end of the film when Claudia comes from the screen test and, you know, he, he she picks him up and they go driving, and when they get to that location, like, I'm not entirely sure what it is. It's just, like, you know, some backstory, whatever it is. But I think that's such a. I think it just comes across so well on camera, like just like the set and the way that it, you know the actors use it, and the way that you know it becomes it's this little haven for him. You know, he says he says I do quite like it here, but then you know the producers come and they kind of you know they invade his haven, and I, I I don't know. I think that's something. That it, it's another part that I really enjoyed.
2: Is um is Claudia in the film earlier, except for that that one scene where she's like all in all in white at that uh place.
1: I don't think so. I think she just pops up in, in every now and then as like in like those type of little things until the end
2: of the film. Okay. Well, who's like who's she supposed to be? I guess his new muse.
1: I I think you know because he he she's kind of the new person that he's been infatuated with because he just kind of you know imagines her here and there and you know like she she her face appears on you know random people. I I I, I think it's kind okay. of his new muse.
2: Was that just like um. A good stylistic choice for you, or was it symbolic of something about the character?
1: I don't know. I guess it like because it it kind of can serve both ways, just depending on your interpretation, I guess. But I kind of see it as you know. Well, it, it is a very meta film, and you know, so with Claudia being his new sense of inspiration, that's kind of, that's kind of all it is. You know, it's, it's just this new. It's it's, reinvig- it's you know it's just she's what's reinvigorating his creative you know, ideals. Right. So, you know, whether okay. you can, whether, you know, there's a real world Claudio, or whether it's just, you know, something for the film, I'm not sure, but I think it definitely, you know, it kind of, it's just kind of that thing of, you know, where, where ideas and inspiration can draw off, can be drawn from for film.
0: I'm glad you mentioned Claudio because I was going to mention it too. Does the final kind of, um, moment that, you know, shoot the gun to the head, shooting yourself in the head, and then the ending. Do, do you guys think it's him kind of just, to put it very bluntly, obviously, and very simply, just getting over it? You know? Because that's kind of all I saw it as, but I feel like there might be more to it.
2: I feel like he's finally realised that he can make a film which says nothing. You know, an eight and a half is that film.
1: Sorry, just to cut in on an earlier point. Um, I just remember now that, Zach, you, you, you said he, he, he completes the film, but I, I don't think he does because his producer or his critic friend, whoever it is at the end, he's saying, um, you know, for producers, this is a loss of money to not make a film, but for to not make a film as a director is the best thing for us because if you make a bad film, you know, that's the end of you. So I I don't think they do make the film. And I think that end sequence where he's shouting orders, that's just something for himself, isn't it?
0: Mm, mm. Well, yeah, I don't know. That end scene is so bizarre that it kind of just melds all the dream sequences, the the real shit, all of it just kind of together in this weird, super symbolic way that I don't know if, you know, I don't know. I don't even know if it can be really understood. It's just kind of bizarre. Um, but no, but that's an interesting point then. So if he doesn't make the movie, I guess it kind of achieves the same sort of uh, character moment, I guess, that he just kind of lets go, you know? And mm-hmm. and then hence, you know, just not directing the movie. just kind of... A, a repercussion of that, I guess.
1: I think him shooting himself in the head is just... It, 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 it very much is him just, you know, killing, you know, this entire production. You know, it, it's, it's just him wanting it done. So, yeah, it, it is a getting over it type yeah. of
0: thing. I just don't think that this movie tells a story that is in any way engaging to me anyway. Like, with that kind of short-ending explanation or whatever, he's just it's about this guy at the end of the day, who's making this movie. Um, He's under a lot of pressure. He's lost focus. Uh, He's lost in the creative process. He's having these uh, personal kind of issues with relationship issues with those around him. Um, He's kind of caught up in these fantasy scenarios with these people. And then at the end, he just decides, Oh no, I'm just not going to make the movie anymore. This, this shit sucks. And so, okay, great. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't I never want to downplay something. I never want to just, I guess, which I just did, but I never want to deliberately try and um, summarize something in a way that makes it sound dumber than it is. But I don't know, that's kind of all I took away from the movie. And then as a result, I'm just kind of left with, oh, great.
1: He never uh, wanted to make the film, though. Because, um, you know, it's, it's not something he started and, you know, lost interest in. It's something that, you know, it was forced upon him from the start just because he was at the peak of his career. And everyone was just pressuring him, you know, what's what's going to happen next. And I think he kind of used the production as an excuse for him to try and, like, gather his ideas about how he feels in his life, you know. And I think that's what the screen test part shows because, you know, it's obviously dialogue drawn from, you know, him and his wife. And, you know, like, it's inspired by that. So I think the film was kind of used as as, as a, you know, as a tool for him to, to collect himself and to, like, you know, draw all of this together. So it's not so much of him, you know, um, starting it and then just losing sight. It's just he, it, he never wanted it and just, you know, took took advantage of it, you know, to, to, to benefit himself.
0: I mean, yeah, no, that, that's a good point. I, I appreciate you, you kind of look at it on that level. Um, I kind of, I, yeah, I just wish I saw it that way, or I, in the moment anyway, you know. I wish as I was watching it, I kind of, or, and then even looking back afterwards, I kind of um, could think upon it with that death. Whereas... Yeah, I don't know. All I got is, yeah, sure, like, no, you're right. You're 100% right. He didn't seem to really want to make the movie at all. He had no idea, you know, he mentions hundreds of times that he doesn't know what he's trying to say, he doesn't know what he's doing, you know, and all that. And that's evident, again, in the screen test. But, okay, so then I guess I just feel like I'm left with a guy that didn't want to make a movie, he's kind of frustrated making the movie, lost making the movie, and, like, yeah, and then, like I said, decides not to make the movie, okay, the end. Like, I don't know.
1: The fact that there is no, you know, action or there is no, you know, real story is that, you know, it, it is just a character study film. So it doesn't really require yeah. those, those elements, you know.
0: No, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I guess I just don't find the story interesting. I guess it's just kind of the, the easiest way to, to say it. Right. But I guess for obviously other people find it super interesting and you're obviously looking at it in a way that I'm not, um, or that I couldn't really just because I was so bored. So, but yeah, no, that, that's, that's cool though. I hadn't thought yeah. of it that way. Though.
1: Well, in... At the start, I I like I, I can also say I was pretty bored, um, and like the way I watched the film, it was kind of interrupted because I did watch the first twenty minutes before I had to be pulled away for something else, and then came back, and in that that oh, in, right. in that time, I watched the majority of it, and I think I think it was that short break that made me probably appreciate it more, because in in that you know next hour and a half or so how long I watched it, you know I think that's that's kind of where I kind of you know yeah you know, that's kind of where my appreciation for it grew.
0: Another, another kind of just random little question like the black and white one I have. Um, what's up with the, do you guys know what's going on with kind of the random lines of English that are just in there like every now and again? Like, I feel like every 15 minutes someone will just say something in English, like a whole line of dialogue, and then it just, it just kind of out of nowhere. I don't really understand.
1: It's just foreign press and foreign um, actors and actresses and agents wanting to be involved in the production because he's such a renowned director that he's kind of drawing attention worldwide. So it's just, it's just people. It is just people like, you know, it is just Americans or English or whatever they are.
0: Yeah, no, I got that. But then, but those characters still speak Italian a shitload of the time though.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, like, I guess, you know, I, I think it's just, you know, them swapping back and forth. I, I don't know. You know, they're just bilingual characters.
0: I guess, yeah. I don't know, I just thought it was weird from like a production perspective to have these something just like you know one in a hundred lines just in English. But yeah, no, no, no that makes sense. You are right about the that thing um, with the foreign press, though. And they are, of course, the journalists, and you know, along with the producers and the and the someone who was like revising your script, I guess, a script reader or something. With you know, they were other elements that are putting pressure on him as well at the beginning or throughout
1: with the dialogue as well. You know, obviously, it, it, it um, you know it's foreign, so we had to read the subtitles, but you know, at least you know, typically, you know, the audio and the visuals are synced. But because Fellini, he never, like, he apparently he never really worked with, like, you know, a fully polished script. So quite often, a lot of the dialogue, he went and rewrote in post-production. So when they were dubbing the voices, um, you know, it didn't match what was on screen anyway. So, like, that was something yeah. with me.
0: Yeah, I, like, know, I noticed that too.
1: Even though I couldn't understand it it, it, it still didn't match up. And I was like, oh, fucking
0: yeah, exactly, exactly. Even yeah, so, you know, obviously we don't speak Italian, but like, yeah, I, even, I could see it too. It was kind of bothering me.
1: Yeah. Um, also, like, because like with um not um recording uh sound on set, um do you have any new trivia about how he play, he would often play music in the scenes? Is that something you've got? Uh no, no? uh I but think, yeah no that makes I sense. I think it might have been somewhere else. I read that then, but um so he'd often play music in this in the scenes. So like. Quite often, the the movements of the characters were, you know, this choreo- choreographed to be almost, you know, this dance like thing, and it kind of, you know, fluidizes their mo their movements, especially in like the dream sequence and the the fan, you know the memories and stuff. Um, so you know, well, music often is, you know, just played, um, uh, you know, just in the scene anyway, just if there's a band or whatever. But it, you know, if there was the, if there was none of that, he he'd just play music and he'd get his actors to move along to that. To kind of, you know, give it this extra fluid feeling.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's cool. That's cool. I guess another element that's kind of mentioned a lot um, is the nature of the protagonist of this movie that he's making. Um, oh, which, by, by the way, I, the movie's meant to be like some kind of space movie, which is weird, but um, <laughs> I found that kind of interesting. But how the main character of the, that movie is like Catholic, um, like himself. And then, of course, we get the, some, you know, flashbacks to the. To his childhood and those weird that God that beach dream was weird, but then
1: that was a memory, wasn't it?
0: Not a dream. Oh yeah, no, you're right. It was Well, yeah, it, it, I guess so. But was it actually a memory in the sense of is it based on something that happened to it?
1: Yeah, I think it's because he's a child. Like elements are played up. I think that's the idea. Yeah. So like, there's there's certain things that aren't exact, but like you know, you know. So like, you know, um, I was reading that you know one of the paintings, for example, is like absolutely massive when it's not really like just, you know, as like one example of like, you right. know, an element that has been changed, but it is mostly a memory that's been, you know, exaggerated.
0: And that kind of, I don't know, like to his youth, that kind of element of him being Catholic seems to be important in some way. The priest, uh, the, the main thing I kind of took away from that at least was um, the connection to the happiness thread in the movie that the, the priest mentions, like, um, you know, a life, Without being, you know, not ded- dedicating your life to God or whatever he said is, you know, not you're not going to be happy or whatever. D- is there any other kind of connection uh, that the Catholic stuff brings? Do you think any other level of depth?
2: I think Fellini again is just trying to put things in about his life into the movie. Mm. But other than that, I'm not really um, sure.
1: Doesn't his his um, script advisor or whoever that character is he 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 brings up the fact that he he's he's trying to include this Catholic arc into his story. um, But it, it has no real meaning to it because he doesn't have to take a hardline stance on whether, you know, it's a positive or a negative thing. And I kind of just see that as, you know, um, uh, the, the protagonist, um, you know, he's adding another factor of his life to try and figure out how it affected him.
2: He's in the process of trying to make the movie, which is, with the eight and a half as a movie, kind of, you can see it making, you know, like, the protagonist in the movie, how he thinks about adding these kind of Catholic elements, and the guy's like, oh, well, what does it What does it mean? You know, it's kind of, that's Fellini adding it into the movie,
0: eight and a half. Oh, I, be- I 100% pro- believe that's the case when you say that. I think that's probably what it is meant to be, but I just think that's kind of, that doesn't really do anything for me that was as an idea, you know, to kind of go that level of meta, you know, to indicate that, oh me introducing a story element, not having a purpose, it's just the character doing that is just me doing it right now, you know? It's just kind of, I don't really think or feel that adds anything to the movie. It's just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of strange.
2: I think it kind of works because it's about filmmaking itself. And so it's kind of like going through his process and like what means what, what you should add in. And so, I don't know, it's kind of a... Yeah, it's kind of a commentary on that, I guess.
1: Yeah, I I like like I love how meta it is. Like it, it's it's so meta that it's you know, it's it like you know like I don't think I've seen something that that is quite that meta. Like I, I think that that's what kind of made me appreciate it, because the thing is like the film was meant to be a comedy, but like I I I never really felt I never really laughed. I never, well I never really felt it was a comedy, but like it, it was that idea of it being so meta. Like I think that that was one of the, that was one of like the things that got me.
0: You know, smiling. Well, yeah. Well, in relation to that trivia time, Federico Fellini attached a note to himself uh, below the camera eyepiece, which read, "Remember, this is a comedy. This is a tri- trivia fact that I, I don't know how or why, but I knew this somehow. Not, a, I didn't even think it was about this movie, but I knew a director at some point did that about something. That's kind of, I don't know, even know how I knew that, but I don't know. I don't really, I don't really get that. It, so." Do you think he's actually trying to make a comedy, literally, or is it kind of more nuanced than that?
1: I think it's. I think it means it's a comedy in the sense of, um, you know, Dante's Inferno. Inferno is a comedy. You know, it's it's um. Well, you know that like Shakespeare's plays are either tragedies or comedies, in, in that sense. Not so much. Oh, here's a joke, haha, ha, laugh. But it's mm. you know it's kind of it has those elements.
0: I don't know, what's the best way, because I, I know exactly what you mean, but what's the best way to describe that? Yeah, I, I, I'm re- not sure. It's like kind of ironic, I guess, in a way, maybe?
1: Yeah, that's why I provided examples, because I don't know how to explain it.
2: <laughs> I think, like, like Shakespeare's comedy is, some of them are kind of, comedy in that sense of the word, it's kind of, like, trivial things are happening, like, what's that oh, okay. called, like, um, Much Ado About Nothing, or whatever, but.
1: I guess you kind of also get comedic elements, like elements in like the absurdus, like in the absurdism of like the dreams, because you know, like with um, with that like harem sequence, you know, it is meant to be played for laughs a bit, and same with some of like his childhood, like when he's dancing with um, Sangadi or whatever her name is, um, you know, it it is meant to be that bit, that bit of light hearted.
0: So, mm. you know, yeah, my personal reaction to that scene was I was watching that. And my mouth was just slightly agape with confusion. That's that's my reaction. I was just like, uh, "Okay, this is interesting."
1: Yeah, I didn't realise she was a prostitute until like much later. Like that's what she was. Oh no! Me.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't either. Uh, oh god! Well, I had a transition in mind. You see, did you use you used absurdity? Right, you said that word. Yeah. Speaking of absurd, nailed it. Often cited by Federico Fellini himself as one of his favorite films ever, even considering other directors' works. Get on your Federico, you know.
1: <laughs> I kind of see that, like you know, it's because like you kind of see that arrogance reflected in the in in um in Guido. So like, like I've you know like like I, I, that kind of works for me, you know, that he's like he's so arrogant that he loves his own films.
0: It's so funny. That's is bizarre. But I know what you mean. Yeah, no, it is reflected in the character, though. Yeah. Oh, God.
1: How would you feel about the character of Guido, though? Because, like, I quite liked him. He was this, like, you know, despite all his flaws, he was this, like, suave character. And, like, you know, you know, like, this. this I think his portrayal was, you know, favourable. Like, how did you guys feel?
2: I don't know. I thought he was all right. But, like, I didn't like him at times. But then again, there's literally a line in the movie where they reference a character that they, that's going to be in his movie. That's like, oh, you know, this guy's unlikable, and then the uh, is like, oh, you didn't think I haven't thought of that or whatever. Mm. So it's like I'm hesitant to you know to critique any character flaws because I think it's intentional and it's pointing out in the movie. But yeah, no, for the most part, I thought it was okay. Anyway,
0: yeah, it didn't really do anything for me, honestly. I just I just kind of the whole time. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm just watching him having this kind of mental breakdown, and that's fine, I guess. But uh, I wasn't sympathetic to him in any way. I didn't really care about him in any way. So I was just kind of like hoping he'd just get over it and hurry up. <laughs> Thera- that's, that's I'm destined to be a therapist, aren't I?
2: Yeah. Wonder if that's the point, though, Zach.
0: Oh Jesus! Oh Jesus! I mean, look, like I don't know, like if it's the point, and this applies, you know, to tons of different. Circumstances in movies, but like I don't really. For me, that doesn't really elevate a thing. Like if it's the point, okay, cool, you know that if I already like it, that's like a cool thing to know and consider. It's a, it's a cool, I guess, um, discussion point to kind of think about and go to that level of depth in the movie, but that doesn't really enhance anything in a movie. You know, to say um, an element that I either like or don't like already, and just say it's the point. I'm like, okay, it doesn't really make me appreciate it. I guess.
1: One thing, I, I think it was from reading Roger Reed, but talk about it. Um, did you guys feel like that there was quite, um, quite often it, it'd go for this style of a substance type of thing?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I think that's yeah. part of the point, but yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and that's what, because like, I I got this quote from Eva saying that, a filmmaker who prefers ideas to images will never advance above the second rank because he's fighting the, na- the nature of his art. The printed word is ideal for ideas film is made for images and images are best when they are free to evoke many associations and are not linked to narrowly defined purposes. And like, not only does that, like, I think that's such a brilliant quote regarding, you know, just cinema in general, but, you know, it, it, it applies to this film so well and like, you know, to, to so many other films that people criticise for, you know, lack of, you know, I like, lack of ideas or lack of happenings. You know, often, you know, with a visual medium, that's not always the intention.
0: Well, well you when you say that's, I think that's kind of the point. Um, do, you, do you mean in the way that kind of just plays into the characters' own struggle for finding substance in his movie?
2: Yeah, and at one point you're kind of... When he's talking to that... What's that lady we were talking about earlier? Who kind of appears occasionally. Um, Claudia. Claudia, yeah. She kind of confronts him about the lack of... Simply that the audience will have the character. And then he's kind of like, oh, you don't think I haven't thought of that or whatever. And he says something. So
0: if, if that is intentional, which I, I agree with it probably is, I just, I don't really get the appeal of it. So the directors made a film, and it's not about this obviously, but the film is, he wants to suggest that films and stories don't have to have such, such deep substance and, and levels of, uh you know, themes and interesting ideas like that. And he does that by making a film that has no interesting ideas and themes.
2: Well, I think I think that substance comes from, like, the stance of like, a filmmaker trying to create substance. You know, it's kind of about the creation of art, in a way. Like, that process and, um, yeah.
1: The style of a substance thing kind of relates to his critics as well. Because, like, I was reading that many people say that um, uh, Fellini's earlier films that are kind of grounded in that traditional Italian style of um neorealism, I think it was called, or whatever. Um, they were better, and that when he started moving into this surrealist and this you know stylistic um, uh chapter of his, you know, career, it was kind of you know his downfall. But I think you know you look at it, and some of his films from that part are also really celebrated. So I think like you know, like La Dolce Vita and Eight Half and some other ones. But you know, so I think like you know, this ideas, you know, this um, you know, the style of the thing is also meant to be a, a thing about his critics.
0: Oh yeah, okay. I guess that adds something else to it. Um, but but I do. You, do you guys know what I mean though when I say that it feels weird to for any kind of artist to try and convey a point by just doing it? You know what I mean. Something doesn't have to be this yeah, way, no. so I'm just not going to do it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess you can make a film about. You know, a camera pointing at a wall, and then for two hours, and then have a narration. You know, oh well, you might think that this film is pointless, but yeah, I'm making that. I'm making this film to to point out that point or whatever. You know, and we wouldn't actually add anything, but I don't know. I think it does work in this film a little bit because it kind of tells you about the process of filmmaking and like the 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 process of trying to. Come up with substance and meaningful ideas in itself, but yeah, I see. I see what you mean. I guess.
1: I I, I think that kind of just all derives back to the you know what well we often you know like the thing about you know it's just your interpretation, you know, like that. That's all. Like that's all I really yeah. like think about. something like that, you know. Some people will, will derive so much meaning from it, and some will derive nothing. You know, it, it just depends on who you are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely true. And in that way, it's actually not because you know everyone. Everyone knows the, the good old example of, you know, what is it, you know, if you're an art gallery and you're looking at a piece of shit and uh, people try and interpret it and all this shit, but it's just actually a piece of shit. You know, that, that all those kind of analogies that people use when discussing art. Yeah. Um, I feel like, for me, this movie kind of, not by any way comparing this movie to an actual piece of shit, but <laughs> I'm just saying I feel like this movie kind of has those kind of vibes to it in the way of this is kind of a movie that, you know, that when put in front of some people, you know, some of us can look at it and go, oh, this is interesting. This, you know, I interpret it this way, interpret it that way. And I kind of see it and just kind of see the, okay, it's just the story of what it is. Um, and, you know, not to say any, any one of us are right or anything, but I just kind of, I don't know, I guess the fact that that analogy in any way comes to my head leaves me with a bit of a bad taste in my mouth.
1: I was I was gonna ask like just in the end like did you guys get that that twist scene in this film is what inspired the twist in pop fiction?
2: Yeah, I, I saw I saw that, but I thought mm-hmm. that Eight and a Half was itself referencing the adult feeder. But maybe I'm wrong.
1: Oh it does it? Cause I, okay, right.
2: Oh, I don't know. But yeah, I I do see what you mean. What twist in pop the, fiction the, are you da- talking about? The uh, dance twist with um
1: Where Mia and um Vincent are at that like place.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, got it, got it. Sorry, yeah. You're actually talking about like a literal twist. Yeah, right? I yeah. Did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought you were talking like, about like, a plot he, twist.
1: Even, even the character in this film that does it, like the, the female, I can't remember her name, like she, she, you know, it does resemble Mia Wallace, like Emma Thurman in, in Pulp Fiction, so.
0: Hmm. Mm, yeah, that's true, it does. <laughs> that's cool. Time to give eight and a half a score out of ten. I'll be giving you an eight and a half out of ten. No, <laughs> sorry. That was terrible. Jane, what are you giving it?
1: Well, it's funny because, like, I genuinely like feel around because, like, because, like, I've been tossing up between an eight and a nine. Um, I think I am going to give it that nine because it is like kind of that thing of where I love everything about it, and plus, it it gives me that that little bit of feeling afterwards. You know, that we were talking about last week about how you know that film has to like give you that like certain feeling inside. Yeah, I, it, that's what I get from this film. So I th- I, I, I think I'm going to give it a nine.
2: Well, I'm going to defy your authority again, Zach, and um. Use my five star rating system from Letterboxd. Um, I'm gonna it's give it the a... same
0: thing though!
2: Yeah, but I don't know. Like, I've just gotten used to Letterboxd. I like using it, I guess. But anyway, I'm gonna give it a 3.5 out of 5. Um, yeah, I think. I don't know. I was very bored by all of the filmmaking stuff, but interested in a lot of the dream sequences, the relationship stuff, I thought. The meta stuff was kind of interesting at times, um, so yeah.
0: Are you officially, just out of curiosity, are you officially requesting that we change our review scale to stars instead of out of 10?
2: Well, you guys don't have to. I'm probably going
0: to. no, I we, didn't, we didn't have uniform. some... Yeah. Absolutely. We can't be using different scales between oh, us. Does not matter? Oh, I reckon it does. It's a bit I odd. Be... I introduced a segment as let's reveal our score out of 10.
1: <laughs> Zach, just dub in, dub in your voice afterwards. Yeah, I
0: will. I will actually. I don't
2: know. I recognise your authority, so kind of goes that way. All
0: right, all right. Well, I'm, if, you, if you do it again, I might have to consider actually officially changing it, you know.
1: But then I'll be the one to defy.
0: Oh, shit. God. <laughs> God Just damn it.
2: Let me be a contrarian. God damn
0: it. I'm going to give the movie a um, ooh, uh, uh, four out of ten. Fuck. There you go. Oof. Um, it's, not, it's not a terrible movie. It's a competently made movie but it's a movie that tells a story that is so uninteresting to me and it's a movie I definitely never want to watch again. So, yeah, two stars, two out of five on your your beautiful scale. All right, let's get into our news chat segment. And first of all, we've got some, I I think a very interesting development based off kind of what we've been talking about basically over this entire show's um, lifetime. And that's the fact that Uh, this week the Academy has temporarily loosened rules to allow straight-to-streaming films and straight-to-VOD films uh, to be eligible for Academy Awards next year. So maybe things won't be quite as dead as they were going to be, still more dead than they normally are, but...
1: Yeah, I think these days, I think there's like kind of this... um... I think, like, directors are kind of, like, reviving this idea of, you know, watching things at the cinemas and shooting on film and, you know, bigger is better, like, kind of thing. Like, you know, Noel and Edgar Wright, Wes Anderson, they, they all kind of follow these, this, you know, see it at the cinema type thing. So I think, like, mm-hmm. even even though, you know, they are allowing these things, like, you know, straight, you know, these VOD launches, like, it'd be great for indie films. But, like, you know, I think, like, a lot of big productions that still, like, prefer these type of big, large, large format they're still going to hold out on their releases.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I guess all, I guess really, you know, again, with us still not knowing when cinemas are going to reopen, but I guess really all this does is ensures that, you know, some more probably, you know, not heavy hitters or anything, but you know, the Oscars won't be quite as barren as they, as we thought they were going to be. There is still going to be, you know, at least some variety in selection, I guess mm. for these categories or whatever.
1: If Marvel plays a cards right and just releases releases all their new films in here and now, Marvel mm. might
0: saturate the Oscars. That's right, that's right.
1: What a terrible year that'd be.
0: <laughs> well, I'm just interested in um what the hell, you know, we're gonna be doing for our top movies of twenty twenty, you know. It's not a lot. Birds of prey. <laughs> Birds of prey. <laughs> oh god. Next up, Star Wars News. Hey, um, I'm not going to refuse it. Um, the Cassian and Disney Plus series that no one gives a shit about. Um, the showrunner for it has been replaced, um, making this the 280th time officially that Kathleen Kennedy has replaced a leader of a Star Wars project. And we learned that it takes place officially. This is a bit more, you know, if you're hardcore like me, it takes place five years before Rogue One. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Is there a single Star Wars project at Lucasfilm currently that is able to maintain its leadership? Come I on, you guys were hyped for Cassie and Andor, weren't you? Um,
2: no. What's that? The show? Cassie. I didn't hear that.
0: Cassie and Andor, it's, it's based on the, you know, Diego Luna's character in Rogue One.
2: Oh, right. I didn't know about that.
0: Oh, what? okay. My, my apologies. Yes, that's, that's a Disney Plus prequel show that is occurring. Mm. And uh, it's definitely one of the weirder ones they chose to do. Probably, the, yeah, the weirdest, like, who who wants this? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, because
1: like I love Rogue One, but like, yeah. it's it's not because of Diego Luna. I mean, like, I like I like it for like pretty much every other reason. Like, there's <laughs> nothing there's nothing wrong with him. Like, he's fine. But you know, I don't like Diego but, Luna like, the, for like the reason that like I love the film. It's like he's not one of them. So like, like you know,
0: yeah, it was it was just a, it's a weird for multiple reasons. It's weird for that reason. Like, who really connects with that character? It, it's you know because we don't really have time to, but. Yeah. Um, and, and it's also weird because the fact that Rogue One, which in itself is like a spin-off prequel, is getting a spin-off prequel, and then mm. will that get a spin-off prequel? It's like, you know, it's a bit much.
1: Yeah, it's hard for me to get behind Star Wars on the silver screen,
0: uh, like, other than, you know,
1: like, animated.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah. I mean, I personally think the animated shows have been highlights compared to the, you know, only one season of Mandalorian, but yeah. Yeah. Next up, uh, you made me aware of this, Jalen. The IMAX CEO... Dude, whatever his name is, do you know his name?
1: Ah, uh, I, I did before, but I've lost it. Never, no,
0: it's all good. <laughs> who, who gives a shit? Uh, so, says uh, that Christopher Nolan is determined with Tenet uh, to basically be the film that reopens theaters. To be when theaters reopen, who knows when? Um, he wants Tenet to be the film that people are going to see. Which, hey, if theaters are opening, you know, in the next few months, that's gonna that's gonna happen. You know, but it's just whether or not that is going to happen at all. Yeah. Who knows if they're going to reopen? Moses. What was that, Liam?
2: It's like Moses splitting open the Red
0: Sea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jane, Jane, am I dumb or are you confused? No, like I'm getting
2: it. It's just not very funny.
0: Oh, okay. okay. That's not a joke. It's just a
2: comparison.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's, it's just, you know, like, how Moses opened the seas, Nolan's going to open the cinemas, uh, I guess.
0: Uh, that was literally it. Uh, yeah. Wow.
2: Sorry. Jeez.
0: I mean, I hope it happens. Yeah. I, I hope I can see tenet in July, man. I don't give a shit if I get infected. I just said it. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, in down here in Australia, I think, you know, if he's, if he's willing to do a release down here before America, it, it might happen because, I mean, like, our cases are... I mean, at the moment, they're kind of like you know not doing too well. But in terms of the rest of the world, we're doing
0: all right. Are we? Oh, oh, oh God! I don't want to get into this too much, but are we? Isn't it just I mean, like relative? I, isn't the world kind of similar?
1: No, but because like I heard this week that Skomer is looking at um, they're talking to Arden about like opening like a trans Tasman hub of like oh, yes, you know, travel yes. between. So I feel like if if that's in the, if that's you know in the in, in, in uh you know if that's on the road, you know, maybe we'll be all right.
0: I don't see them only playing it in some regions like ours and not at the US. I don't really see that happening.
1: No, you don't see a staggered release where Australia finally gets, you know, a good film. For- <laughs> performance.
0: No, I really don't. You know,
1: <laughs> like, I don't give a shit that we get, you know, Avengers two days before America. I want to see fucking Tenant like three months beforehand.
0: Hell yeah. I mean, I would too. I don't know. I don't see that happening. But let's do some kind of rapid-fire stories, not that the other stories have been super long, but you know what I mean? Let's just jump, jump through some more stories. Now You See Me 3 is in the works, and, Jane, you like this series?
1: Yeah. I mean, like like, like I was saying before the show, it's, it's, it's light-hearted cinema, you know? You, you don't have to pay attention to it, you know, too much. You don't have to dissect it. So it's just, you know, they're good watches, you know? I think you, yeah. number two was hurt by the casting of Lizzie Kaplan because, you know, she's a bit of a, you know, she doesn't suit well with the rest of the cast in the but, you know. I'll still get behind number three. You,
0: you've honestly, I haven't really heard anything about these movies other than the fact they exist, and you telling me and describing uh, them in that way honestly makes me interested. I'm like, yo, just some weird magician heist movie? Yeah, well, that,
1: you know, that, that's what it is. You know? It's pretty sick, you know? It's like, it's it's like infection <laughs> with, you know, fucking magic tricks.
0: Yo, <laughs> you just, dude, I'm on board. I, I'm, I'm checking these movies out. I'm stoked for them now. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. You're yeah, going
1: to come back next week and say they're right shit.
0: <laughs> hey, yeah, they'll probably be on what I've been watching at some point in the future. Yeah, you're probably yeah. right. Oh, yeah, I might hate them. Um, anyway, here's a, here's a little fun one for you guys. Um, we all, of course, know the, the trials and tribulations that have been occurring between Sony and Marvel and how Sony has its own Spider-Man universe that is not in the MCU but actually is but actually isn't. Um, so isn't that awesome? And this universe now has a name. Do you guys want to hear this really catchy name that this weird, demented Spider-Man universe has?
1: Yeah, hit me with it.
0: It's called the Sony Pictures Universe of Marvel Characters. <laughs> what do they give that an acronym? S-S-S- the S-P-U-M-C. Mm. I guess... Yeah. <laughs> I'm so done, dude. What? Oh, God. So... So this universe, of course, includes Venom, such amazing characters as Venom, Morbius, and maybe Tom Holland, but who actually knows? Because, because of course, as we all know, Vulture was in the Morbius trailer, um, you know, getting some people excited and leaving the rest of us with just b- <laughs> the most confused reaction ever. Tom
1: Holland is like the child of the divorce. You've got and data point on each slide and you just don't know which way it's gonna go.
0: That's so accurate though. Oh god, dude, this this whole thing is messed up. So so what I've kind of been I just want to talk about this because I find it hilarious. What I've been kind of been able to gather so far is that there's this weird, you know, the whole deals with these companies bizarre, but there's this thing where basically Venom, Morbius, and and these characters you know, exist in the Tom Holland, you know, obviously as Tom Holland exists in the MCU, but then it's this weird thing where it doesn't go the other way. Like, but the MCU characters don't exist in the Sony universe. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's like, what? It doesn't make any sense. Finally, uh, Jan, you've got a story regarding this new film, Black Glass and Daft Punk coming out of whatever retirement or whatever they were doing. Yeah, Can you enlighten a, us a bit
1: on this? Well, I mean, this is you know massive news for both film and music, probably more for music, to be honest. But, you know, so Daft Punk haven't released a, like an individual record since 2013. They've produced a few tracks for The weekend, but that's it. So um, it was announced this week that they will be coming back to score um, Black Glass, which is um, Dario Argento's new film. Um and while his name's not, you know, doesn't drag a lot of attention these days, he was really popular back in the 70s and 80s for these kind of like, a, you know, psychotronic horrors, such as, you know, Suspidia and Ten and Inferno. They're kind of like his three biggest films. And they are really, really great films. You know, they're these, um, he kind of like birthed the um Italian, like a, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, uh, Gaio genre, I think it's called. Whereas kind of like you know there's, oh, right. like, there's like hack and slash films, but you know there's kind of like you know really, you know Italian hack and hack and slash. So I mean, um, they're really great that films. Like a dope genre? Yeah. So um, yeah. It, it like this is massive for like, you know certain people.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, does, is Daft Punk? Staff Punk. Punk. I I stuffed that up. Do they? Do they? Are they known for scoring films? this seems kind of weird.
1: Um, they did the Tron Legacy soundtrack, which is like one of the best soundtracks ever, but it was completely overlooked because it's electronic. Um, mm. So yeah. Um, so this is this is cool. Um, I mean, because like I love the Tron Legacy soundtrack; it's really brilliant. And you know, knowing Argento's work, you know, you can tell that they should meld together well because they do. You know, like hopefully, like the two will. Will will gel together bit. and like um Argento said that you know Daft Punk, are admirers of his work, so you know, hopefully this is a good collaboration.
0: Yeah, awesome. I mean, it sounds it sounds pretty cool to me. Even though yo, is this is this like a wide release film?
1: Um, should be. I mean, because like cool, I think like Argento's recent films like from the two thousands they didn't perform the best critically, or um box office wise, but um. I think people are kind of hoping for, like, a revival of his, like, you know, 80s days.
0: So, mm. yeah, I, I,
1: I'm i pretty sure this will get a revival release.
0: Cool. All right. We'll, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on it.
2: Wait, Zach, I just realized something that I have to um, confront you about.
0: Okay. Oh, God. I'm scared.
2: So, you gave 8.5 a, a 4, right? Oh,
0: ha- all right. All right. <laughs> here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. You
2: gave The Phantom Menace a 5. I did. This means... You are stating, "Phantom Menace is a better film than Eight and a Half." Do you do you agree with this?
0: Now, there are there are multiple things to this. First of all, yes, <laughs> Phantom Menace is a better film than Eight and a Half. Just want to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but then, but but hang on. But with that aside, though, hey, scores are not easily comparable to one another. I just want to make that clear. You know, yeah, scores are not definitive true. definitive conclusions. Of course, they all scores are a summaries of one's thoughts on a movie. So. But, in this particular circumstance, to answer your, answer your question, yes. Okay. Sorry, guys, you have to... I'm sorry you have to accept that.
2: We really don't, but... Okay.
0: Hey, I mean, I'd much rather watch The Phantom Menace. I'd watch The Phantom Menace 20 more times before I ever watch that movie again. Really? Alright, so... <laughs> what? What, what have we been watching recently? Uh, Fitzy, yo.
2: Um, I saw a lot of stuff this week. Um, I'll just mention a couple. Um couple five stars that i gave out um the nice guys which i wasn't expecting to love it as much as i did but um like it just i don't know we constantly praise different films you know their realism and their having realistic characters and all that and like something this i feel like The nice Guys just has that it has that extra level of like just characters that I could say that I could I could feel like I could meet in real life you know I could say my neighbors or whatever like with Marriage Story last year that was like a film that was that I really loved and that had that was one of its biggest uh one of its best elements were the kind of you know the characters which felt so real but I still wouldn't say that you know I feel like I could meet them you know but with the nice guys I feel like it just has that extra level of achievement on that um on that front and the comedy which is hilarious and maybe just comes like so naturally from their characters, you know, it doesn't feel like they're trying to make jokes, it's just um so great. But Yeah. Yeah. Do you believe it's directed
1: um, by the guy that did Iron Man three and the Predator?
2: Iron Man Three wasn't that bad, I don't think <laughs> Yeah, but Yeah, like it it surprising like,
1: it, yeah, it, like, you know. Iron Man Three is not that bad, but like it's surprising from him.
2: Yeah. For sure. And then I saw, um, Alien, which, um, is just so great. It's like, um, yeah, everything, everything is just, every element is just, um, firing and all cylinders in that movie, I guess. The, the third act is just so crazy and intense. I love all the freaking tracking shots and the lighting, the, the uh, atmosphere, you know, the alien design. It's, uh, that was an incredible movie. And then The uh The Witch I saw just yesterday and um like I'm not the biggest fan of horror, but I've seen like you know, the Exorcist I love, uh, I like uh The Shining I love, um the thing is great, but The Witch is like definitely the best horror movie I think mm-hmm. I've ever seen. It's just such a such a like thick and eerie dark atmosphere and um
0: visually dense.
2: Visually, yeah, visually dense. Uh, just
0: <laughs> so much going on in every frame.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, yeah, beautiful uh, cinematography. There's so much to like. It, yeah, it just has such an atmosphere. It, it's crazy, and um, the last fifteen minutes are just some of the best shit ever. But um, yeah, I love that. And for people who just have Netflix, um, Princess Mononoke, I would I would recommend that as well. I saw that this week. Great animated film. Very, you know, emotional and epic. Uh, very um, Themes of man versus nature and, like, complex themes of man versus nature and environmentalism. Not just, it doesn't feel, like, force or hand-fisted. So anyone who hasn't seen that, that's a good Studio Ghibli film. What about you
0: guys? Cool. Cool. I'm excited to do uh, the uh, Alien franchise thing eventually. eventually, eh? I feel like that's a good
2: yeah. one.
1: It is apart from Alien 4, which is arse. Awesome.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But is it worse than 8.5? No, sorry. Oh, you go, Jad.
1: I've had a comparatively quiet week. Um, watched a bit more community. Um, I watched the series. Actually, I say it quiet week, but uh, it's because of the thick of it, which is a series I watched rest of the week um is this british um comedy that follows like the day-to-day of um uh an, an mp of a fictional department called um the department of social affairs and citizenship and it is just so bloody funny um i like it, it, it's kind of like um the australian series utopia um have you guys seen mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of like that but like way 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 more vulgar and funnier All right. All right. and like it's really, really brilliant. Cause like, it's, cause like, it's not, it's not just, you know, a bunch of guys just swearing like nonstop. It's, it's inventive and like creative and like the way that like it, it all just flows and the shit they say. And like what actually happened in the film, like not film, sorry, in the, in the, in the series is just really brilliant. Um, it actually has a, it has a, it has a spin-off film called in the loop, which, um, stars James Gandolfini actually. Mm. So I know you'll get behind that. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, and then I also watched um, these final hours, which was um, it's good because it's, it's, it's you know it's, it's rare that you see a, a pre-apocalypse film set in Australia. I mean, you know, other than Mad Max, so you know you kind of get this. It's a it's a unique story to tell in the Australian landscape. I feel, and it's set in Perth, so you know, once again, it is it is mm. that it is that bit different from you know the west, uh, the eastern you know uh, scenery of, of of Mad Max um, and it's really good I mean like it, it, it is rather cliched and it, it, you know it does follow a few tropes but um, I think it's fresh enough and like it's it's, it's written well well enough to you know to to, to let some of those things pass.
0: Uh, Movie wise I watched The Gentleman which I know you are you really like Jane and mm. I thought it was awesome I thought yeah. it was awesome. Just, just so enjoyable, man. I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, well,
1: that surprised me because you don't like lock, stock, and two smoking barrels, do you?
0: Well, I know. I, yeah, I just it didn't connect with me when I watched it at all. I didn't really find it that funny, honestly, and I didn't really enjoy it. And honestly, watching the gentleman because I didn't have high expectations for that reason, it makes me think maybe was I in like a weird mood when I was watching lock stock or something? Was I? Yeah. What kind of headspace was I in? I don't know. Well, have you um, seen
1: Snatch? Is my next question.
0: No, but no. it's it's next on my radar. That's
1: so fucking brilliant. Like, that's, like, one of my favourite comedies ever. It's, like, one of my favourite films ever, rather. And, like, um, that guy, Richie, like, sends a comedy. is just brilliant.
0: Uh, hey, I mean, if Snatch is anything like The Gentleman, I'm in. I'm so in.
1: It's more um, Lockstock than The Gentleman.
0: Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I, dude, I'm definitely going to watch it 100%. Um, I don't know. I'm honestly... How much I like The Gentleman confused me on Lockstock. I was like, what was I thinking? Like, did, am I misremembering Lockstock? I don't know. But... um. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, no, the gentleman was awesome. I enjoyed the shit out of it. Maybe it's got something to do with it just being more modern. It connects with me more. And some, I've got no idea, but I feel like there's an answer there. Is all I'm trying to say. There's a reason. I don't know what it is, but I've got to find it. I've got to deep dig uh dig deep within myself. God damn it. Um, uh, what else do I watch? I watched Onward. I've been saying I was going to watch it. Um, over the last few weeks, I did, and God, it was awesome. Man, I loved it so much, and it, it, it exceeded my expectations. I didn't I honestly didn't really have high expectations. I was like, oh, another Pixar movie. I'm totally gonna watch a Pixar movie, of course. And it's on Disney Plus. Cool, I'll check it out. Loved it. Uh so yeah, yeah. there's that.
2: What did you love about?
0: Oh, I just thought the the story just and the characters just resonated so much with me, honestly. And I hate to play the I don't want to play the like you wouldn't get it card, because I think it's kind of stupid when people do this, but I guess I'm gonna do it. Like I feel like Having a brother elevates the movie to a ridiculous extent. I, I totally understand why everyone would think it's why people would think it's kind of okay if you haven't got a brother. I, like, that's all I'll say. Because, you know, and if you've seen the movie, you know what I mean. It's just that's what the story really centers around, and it just hit me really hard okay. at certain points.
2: So, Guess yeah. I'll have to uh, get a brother then. <laughs> I can enjoy it more.
0: Go and find one on the street, fizzy. Hurry up.
2: Yeah. It um it stars
1: Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. Is that right?
0: Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, shows. I I started. We started. Um. And I think we're going to finish it very soon. So I might have more thoughts next week. But, um, Escape at Dannemora. Have you guys heard of this? No. No. This is a Showtime show with starring, of course, as the leads Benicio del Toro and Paul Dano. Um. The show is directed by Ben Stiller. So we got we got everyone and their mum making this thing, and. It's just, just it's this prison escape series, basically. There's only seven episodes, there's only one season, it's just this mini-series. Um and I feel like who who's involved, like I feel like more people should know about it, but I hadn't didn't really know anything about it either. But watching it, it really feels like a top tier, like, um high budget thing, you know, like a real big deal production. But yeah, so I'm surprised people haven't heard of it. But anyway, um I think it's really average at the moment and and I'm really surprised that these high-caliber actors signed on to this. To be honest, so far, um, but we're almost done with it, so I'll finish it next week, and we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll change my mind. And then, other than that, it was just the new Clone Wars episode last night. We've got the finale on Monday. After all these years, it's an interesting feeling.
1: How did you feel about Clone Wars last night? Because it was more subdued episode compared to the previous two Randall or arcs, but I think I still think it stood up to it, like the previous two. I thought it was brilliant.
0: Oh, I loved it. Loved yeah. it. Yeah. Um. I think I thought I thought it was the weakest of the three we've gotten so far. Um. Yeah. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, but like, only very slightly.
0: Yeah. No. Yeah. Hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you know the first. You know, I don't have to say. I don't. Don't have to go into any specifics at all, Jan. Obviously, but you know the first half is absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. And I feel like it kind of peters out in the second half. That. Yeah. That's that's pretty much how I felt as well. Yeah. The score was amazing. Just building the tension to what we all know is going to happen, and it, and it happened. The way and that it, it was no. to like
1: maintain that somber tone the entire time, despite everything that happens, is really like because even like when things do kick up a notch, it, it still keeps that, you know, that that brooding sense, and like like that's what really, I think that's what like elevated it for me, you know.
0: Yeah, do you know no, absolutely. Like, I, I think
1: it's what I think I think it's with the score that it, it kind of managed to like maintain that. And I'm like, yeah, it's really, yeah. I thought the last night was really brilliant.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, The way the music, in the first 10 minutes, the way the music was building the entire time, well, not even building, it was just there. It was just mm. always present. Yeah. And it just left me so uneasy. It was awesome. Um,
2: So the finale, that's thats going to be like the absolute finale of Clone Wars, not another season or anything.
0: The series finale, indeed, yes. Until
1: they do a spin-off series. Because that, cause that's what Kennedy's just fucking pumping out at the moment, just anything Star Wars.
0: <laughs> but yes no the clone wars series finale is on monday we've got one episode hopefully you know hopefully it's half an hour long i don't want it to, I, I don't know if i can be only 20 more minutes yeah, of this entire show uh, of hundreds of episodes but yeah
1: having having this mandalore arc now it annoys me that we spent so long on the Martinez arc because like i would have much preferred something akin to this to to, to the mandalore one than to you know that like he could have easily chopped like you know one or two episodes from the from the from the sisters arc and chucked them onto the, this type of thing.
0: Yeah, I guess, but I don't know what they would. I don't know what they would have done. Like,
1: like I, I'm not saying like necessarily has to be like you know another two episodes of Mandalor. I'm just saying like another two episodes similar in 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 you know like um, similar to 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 what Mandalore is. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: No, I get it. I get it. I don't know. I. I mean, I agree the Martez sisters arc was kind of whatever, but um, I don't know. I, I think it's fine. I think it's. I think really at the end of the day, like I don't know. I, I see people kind of getting upset, and I don't want to sound like um, I don't want to sound like a dickhead or anything, but I kind of feel like guys, this show was cancelled for years, and we're getting a final season, and we're now and we're still complaining. Like yeah, I, that's kind of how I feel about it. As well. I feel like we should kind of just be like, let's just take what we can get. You know, mm. this show was never coming back. Hey, I would love more of this, but I don't think we're getting it. Anyway, it's awesome. Let's get into our listener submitted um, answers. Nailed it. (laughs) For last week's question. Good for me. Um, First of all, Henry wrote into us and said, Oh, God, I forgot again.
2: The question question
0: last week was, Why am I doing this, guys? You should do it. Uh, (laughs) The question that I asked last week was, What's your favourite movie sequel of all time? Of course. And Henry wrote into us and said, my favourite sequel of all time is Blade Runner 2049. It basically just improves upon every aspect of the original Blade Runner, including the pacing, even though it's about 40 minutes longer. I completely agree, which was the main problem I had with the original. Also, obviously it looks beautiful, absolutely beautiful, owing mainly to Roger Deakins' fantastic cinematography and sounds beautiful thanks to Hans Zimmer's soundtrack. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's basically like... That's, like, the definitive choice. You know, I feel like we should just wrap the show up and not even read the others. Nah. <laughs> oh, God. Paul wrote into us and said, Terminator 2, in the opening scenes, you were a little unsure if Arnie was a goodie or a baddie. And I must say, I wish I had this experience that Paul had because that that's something that so many people talk about with Terminator 2 is that the twist that Arnie's the good guy in the movie was, like, shocking. And I've just never experienced that. Couldn't even comprehend that just because it's such... You know, baseline knowledge. You know, to anyone in pop culture.
1: How do you feel about T two and like in general? Because like, like I, I, know, I, I personally always felt that the
0: first Terminator was stronger. Um, it's been too long since I've seen Terminator two, but I did what – the first one. Is really good. Um, I, I kind of I lean towards a I lean towards agreeing with you, but I don't know. I'd have to watch two again. Yeah, Terminator. Two, uh, the first one, sorry, is really good. For sure. Thanks for running in, Paul and Henry. Luke wrote into us and said The Dark Knight. If not for the fact it is a great film, great theme. I mean <laughs> here we go, guys. I mean four French horns on the right, four French horns on the left, and they are up in a gallery up, up way above the orchestra. <laughs> Two notes <laughs> God damn it, Luke, you broke me. Two notes for the amount of expressiveness you can put into them. Thank you, Luke. This show, man. This show. Honestly, Uh, oh, we appreciate you, Luke. God bless anyone out there who uh, gets it. I'm sure. I'm sure there's people out there who get it, but yeah. anyway, there's probably many people that are so confused right now. Probably. What are our favorite sequels of all time? I was about to I was about to go to the outro, but then I realized shit. Actually, we got to answer this crap.
1: <laughs> this crap.
0: <laughs> this question. we you said, "John, what's your favorite sequel?"
1: Um, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I think it's without a doubt, you
0: know, masterpiece.
1: Um, no, I,
0: tremendous. Yeah, um,
1: I agree with Hannah's uh, about twenty forty nine. I mean, he he summed it up pretty well. But um, because that's already taken, I'll say uh, that the uh, dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War for the Planet of the Apes in um, in in that in that um, in the Planet of the Apes re- reboot, they're really spectacular. So I guess I'll go with them.
0: Awesome! I really want to watch those. Um, I've never seen. Yeah. Them.
1: Uh, 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 with um with War for the Pandia, yeah, the tension that's built in the first scene is phenomenal, like like
0: really really crazy. God, that's another good franchise one. I'm excited. I'm excited. What about you, Fidzi?
2: Um, probably Lord of the Rings Two Towers. It's just um, you know, it's just as good as the first one, but it has a darker tone. It's got way more. It's got character more color, character development than the first one. It's got a you know, some of the best moments of the entire series with you know, Gandalf coming to save the uh, at the um, Helm's Deep and just Helm's Deep in general and uh, Sam's Sam's speech. It's um yeah, it's probably my favorite.
0: Cool. I choose The Empire Strikes Back because of course I did. Boo. Uh, just an amazing movie. Um, I mean it's my favorite movie of all time, so therefore it's my favorite sequel of all time, isn't it? It is. The, the perfect second act to a story. That's that's just what it is. It just challenges – a story that challenges your characters, pushes them in interesting directions, um, develops them in interesting ways, and, of course, amazing score, amazing action, ama- you know, just amazing moments. Just, yeah, no, nah, there you go. Nothing else to say. I
1: never, felt, as simple I as never that. felt that way about Empire Strikes Backler. i, 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 I you know, it just doesn't make... I, I don't understand this feeling that everyone has for it. Like, rewatching it this time, I, I've appreciated it more, but I still don't think it's better than, you know, A New Hope or Return for that fact.
0: If you could see my face. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: if it's to be the tiebreaker here, which one's better? The first or the second?
0: Mm. Oh, oh pres- no, he's going to say. Personally,
2: I like A New Hope better, but... Um... Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you dislike anything about Empire, Jane? Just curious.
1: Oh, well, it's not—it's not that I dislike anything about it. It's just that I feel like a new hope is a stronger film. I think—I think that Empire hits—it—it it, it, it plateaus, you know, and it, it doesn't really like you know in terms of like the rising tension and action, you know, it—it it levels out, and I don't feel like it ever really escalates too much again until the final, you know, duel.
0: Mm, mm. I can see what you mean. I can see what you mean. I don't—I—I I, I find um, everything in the second act super interesting, but I don't. I don't disagree, you know. Well, I do disagree, but I mean, I know what you mean, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, guys, we made it. We did it. We persevered to the end. Good for us. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Cinema Effect this week. We appreciate your company. Uh, Jaden, I mean, Liam, whoever does it, who does it? Yeah, Liam does it. What are we watching next week?
2: We're doing, um, worthwhile, right? Um, That's (laughs) on Foxtel. If, uh... You want to catch up on three seasons that you haven't watched yet? Um, you can do that.
0: Yes, we're sorry to alienate some of you, but we're doing Westworld Season 3, eight episodes of the show. And, yeah, as Vitsy said, sorry if you haven't seen any of it. Uh, you know, no, no one's going to watch the whole thing just to, just to listen to us next week. Yeah. <laughs> not a soul. But, uh, hey, the option exists there for you if, if, you, if you're crazy enough. We'll and... pay you $10 if you do. Oh, definitely. I'm not. You can. <laughs> And I will also slightly alter the way in which we do the discussion next week just to account for the fact that it's a TV show. And um, I feel like it's kind of trash if the whole episode is where we're spoiler talking the whole time and, you know, it it kind of doesn't leave a lot of the episode left for everyone else. Although if we ramble on about news and the rest, maybe I'm wrong.
2: Okay. So we're going to do a non-spoiler and spoiler section?
0: We will. We will indeed. Nice. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? You can find all our social media links and Letterboxd fun stuff, as always, in the description on the YouTube page, YouTube video. Guys, Liam, Jaden, thank you very much for joining me this week, as always. Thanks. Thank you. We'll see you all next time. Have a great rest of your week, and goodbye.